0: Respiratory syncytial virus is a well-known cause of hospitalization in infants, but new research suggests that the burden of illness may be more substantial than previously recognized in healthy older children as well. Investigators estimate over 2 million children under the age of 5 require medical treatment for RSV each year. Because it can be difficult to prevent and treat RSV infections, is there a role for a vaccine against the illness? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Caroline Hall, professor of pediatrics and medicine at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. Welcome, Dr. Hall. Thank
1: you very much. I'm glad to be here.
0: Now, we know that respiratory syncytial virus or RSV infection is a problem in high-risk infants under a year of age. So why look at its effect on older children?
1: Well, I think that is the major advantage of looking at a virus or a disease on a population base that I think we don't appreciate other than what we see in the hospitalized children. The potential of any infectious agent, and we focus on that one area of the most severe. So with this particular study, we looked at biopopulation based in several different communities, Nashville, Cincinnati, and Rochester, or the counties surrounding those cities to find out what is the true burden of disease associated with respiratory syncytial virus. And as you very correctly point out, we have focused on the infant and basically the hospitalized infant because the infant hospitalized with RSV or bronchiolitis is actually that's the most common cause for hospitalization in infants during the first year of life. But when you look beyond that, find that it is a significant cause of illness not only within the hospitalized but even more within the emergency room and within the private office as a cause of respiratory disease and just overall visits. I think the summary would be that we recognize now that one of every 334 children becomes hospitalized with RSV. And one of every 38 children each year is seen in the emergency room with RSV. But one of 13 children every year is seen in the private pediatric office for an RSV-related infection. And among those... Of the 2 million that you mentioned that we estimate get RSV each year, 78% are really over a year, and 60% are between two and five years. So that becomes a significant burden in terms of economic and, I think, in terms of the personal illness of children.
0: You know, when we talk about infections being common in young children, oftentimes it is the adolescents and adults and even elderly who are the transmitters of the infection. Is that the case also in RSV? I know it's true often for pertussis, but what about for RSV infection? I
1: think that's a very good point. The contagiousness of RSV is Immense, and you've pointed it out. And from our studies, not this particular study, but from past studies, we do find that we've actually looked at families during RSV season that have an infant and an older child. And the infant is usually not the first infected. It's usually the child who's in school or an older child or, interestingly, even the parent. The parent, we've studied this subsequently, is often is infected at work and brings it home as well. So that 20 to 40 percent of the adults in a household get RSV and an even higher percent in the younger child, the child who's five years or below, but still beyond infancy. So you're absolutely right. And I think the other important factor, the Uh, should I say the charisma of RSV is its ability to perhaps outsmart us and that you can get it every year, that we do not build up an absolute immunity against RSV. We may get it less severely. We may get upper respiratory tract infections and quite often actually sort of the bronchitis subsequent to RSV infection but we still get it. We're still contagious, and it does cause a significant amount of morbidity in the older child and the older adult.
0: Are you saying then that if we get repeated infections, we can build up somewhat of immunity? Is that why it, the severity of illness is lower in older people, or you know, adults and young children, or is that because their lungs are bigger, stronger? What's the difference in the severity of illness?
1: You're correct in all of those factors. I mean, certainly the very young infant has problems of an immature lung, lower flow rates, particularly among boys. But the immunity is there. We do produce enough immunity that generally we do not get a true lower respiratory tract pneumonia as a healthy older child or healthy adult. But we do get reactive airways. The sequelae from RSV infection is very frequently repetitive wheezing in the first couple of years of life. About 50% of infants who are hospitalized with RSV will go on to wheeze or have repetitive episodes of wheezing subsequently.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Caroline Hall, professor of pediatrics and medicine at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. We are discussing the impact of RSV infection in children under age five. Now, we're talking about a recent study that you did, and that was in a February issue of New England Journal of Medicine. Is that correct? That's correct. One of the things that you mentioned is that oftentimes children had RSV infection, but a diagnosis was not made. What do you think is going on here?
1: Well, I think that there are two things here, that many physicians may recognize that this is a viral infection, possibly RSV because of the season. Most physicians know that the winter season is one very prominent for RSV as well as for influenza and the pair influenza, but feel that they do not need or have available an easy means of specific diagnosis. I think the second thing is that about 20% in our study were diagnosed as bronchiolitis and felt that no further specific diagnosis is necessary. But still, that means that 80% were not diagnosed with a highly related RSV infection. And I think the Other thing that is of potential interest here is that we've talked about a little bit about the severity in the older age groups, particularly, of course, at the other end of the age spectrum, the elderly adult. But even among these young, previously healthy children, and I think that's the point to be made, that most of these children, whether hospitalized, severely ill, or not, were previously healthy and that secondly, these children are of fair severity even when they're seen as outpatients. There was not that much difference between the severity of a child who was seen in the private physician's office and that was who was seen in the emergency room. The majority of these children had wheezing. Difficulty in breathing was in 60 or 70% of them. And yet they were cared for on the outpatient basis.
0: Did you find that there was a difference in the diagnosis of RSV in the outpatient setting versus inpatient or emergency room setting?
1: Yes, mostly within the hospitalized and versus the private office and ED. But particularly, the inpatient service is much more likely to get a rapid test for RSV, which is nevertheless a screening test, but when used properly during the peak of the season has a fair amount of sensitivity and specificity. And you're right that those are more frequently obtained, more available, but they were infrequently used in the outpatient, only 3%.
0: Here we are, we're diagnosing a child with bronchiolitis in the office, for example, and we're right. not maybe testing for RSV. Then we send them back home. They go on play dates. They go to childcare. Do we need to do a better job of identifying them so that they're not spreading it, or is it inevitable that everyone's going to get RSV?
1: Well, <laughs> I could say that I'm in some ways a pessimist and in some ways fascinated and an optimist, that there is potentially a way we can protect some of these children. But at the moment, it is highly contagious and that we can only assume, which we know, that practically all children get RSV within the first one or two years of life. And as I mentioned, they can get it repetitively. And it's almost impossible to protect and diminish significantly the spread within close contacts, within schools, daycare, or even within the home. But when you're talking about the really high risk infant, the premature infant, the one who has chronic lung disease, then I think maybe some home control of infection control is probably really worth stressing. I think we all know that we've got to wash our hands We shouldn't leave dirty Kleenexes around, that sort of thing. And RSV is really spread by close contact with those secretions. And those secretions may be on a countertop, on a toy, on the railings of a bed or anywhere. And when we touch those, and then as we all do, we rub our eyes and we touch our nose, and it's inoculated that way. So that hand washing is of prime importance.
0: I know we also promote breastfeeding and avoidance of cigarette smoke. But what about monoclonal antibody, which is palivizumab, or RSV immune globulin, to protect those high-risk infants from RSV infection? Well,
1: there is palivizumab. The general RSV Ig hyperimmune globulin is not available, so that palivizumab is. As you know, obviously, a monoclonal humanized mouse monoclonal antibody specifically for the F protein, which is the major immunoprotein in RSV. And it is effective in the studies that have been done in reducing hospitalization, in other words, reducing severe infection, not necessarily reducing infection altogether, That's less important in some ways because maybe it gives some immunity. But it's highly expensive, and it really needs to be narrowed to those who are most at risk. And, of course, as you're getting it, that's where the controversy occurs, to balance the potential benefits with the cost and those that are most severely in need of it because it's limited in amount and it's just the health cost of it.
0: Is it possible to have a vaccine to protect against RSV infection? Well, I think
1: that's what I think is one of the important parts of this study that we did. And by showing that there is so much burden in the child who's over a year of age, that secondly, that disease may be severe. And I think thirdly, that a lot of those are, in fact, the vast, vast majority are previously healthy children that you can't identify by a risk factor ahead, that a vaccine could be available and maybe even is available in terms of the ability to produce it and those that have been looked at as candidate vaccines for an age group that is over a year of age. We haven't even thought about that. Our strategies have really been aimed at looking at the child in the first year, which still is the most important in terms of hospitalization and severe infection. But nevertheless, could we now take some of these vaccines, which have been developed, the reverse genetics, and there's some excellent ones that have been worked on by a lot of groups that appear to be quite good in an older age group, And maybe we need to tailor make several vaccines to meet different needs. But I think the technology ability is there. Were we to look at this as a potential strategy for protecting the older child and reducing the burden not only in cost but in actual illness in children who are above a year of age.
0: And with that, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Caroline Hall. We've been discussing the impact of RSV infection in children under the age of five. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.